Coming at you again remotely out of the Miami area. And coming in at the 5.23 hour, typically on air about 5 o'clock, but we continue, that's Eastern Standard Time, but we continue to have a few issues that we work through technically. Appreciate you listening to the Aircast, podcast, radio cast, Windward Radio here. This is Ian Trottier. Next week, December 4th, we'll be hosting Jim Breslow, host of the weekly Los Angeles-based program, The Hidden Truth Show. Breslow is a former civil rights attorney, public company president, and radio broadcaster. Former host of the Jim Breslow Show, late nights on KRLA 870 AM in L.A., Currently, he's the founder of Realcast, a new media company. He's appeared in legal, as a legal expert on CNN, Fox, CRTV, KNX, KBC, KFI Radios, and KRLA. He recently gained a claim for, the, for landing the first-ever sit-down interviews with Bruce Paddock, brother of the Las Vegas shooter, and Sophia Hutchins, the transgender partner of Caitlyn Jenner and Malik Obama. Half brother, president, former president, Barack Obama, all aired on the Hidden Truth Show in LA. Jimmy's also an opinion writer for FoxNews.com. He was a partner of the international law firm Safarth Shaw, defending companies and individuals against alleged civil rights violations. He left the firm to become president of Diamond Game, a publicly traded gaming company that provides lottery machines and tickets to numerous state lotteries. In the U.S. and Canada, Jim is the author of 12 patented inventions in that industry, the gaming space. He's a graduate cum laude from the University of California, Irvine, where he hosted the show Freedom of Voice on KUCI-FM. Jim received his law degree from the Northwestern University, where he served as editor of the Law Review. That'll be next week. Following that, December 11th, we'll have on Amy Yarsinski. She's the author of An American in the Basement, The Betrayal of Captain Scott Spiker, and the cover-up of his death. What's that going to be all about? We're going to continue in December by hosting John Potash. He's been featured on C-SPAN's American History TV, A&E, and Reels Channel, the Real News Network, and RT Television Networks. Uh, his, 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 book drugs as weapons against us the cia war on musicians and activists later turned into a documentary has won films at ny nyc indie film that was last year aphrodite film awards the ckf international film festival and the toronto international nollywood film festival that's a pretty big deal his film drugs as weapons against us will be topic of discussion December 8th. We have today's guest waiting by very patiently. Um, but let me let me let me let me let me let me just mention again before we bring on Courtney. Um, this is recent in March we will be hosting William Alba Blunden. His book, The Rootkit Arsenal, and separate book, Behold a Pale Farce, goes into the very dark depths of the internet and surveillance um, internationally, but primarily on American citizens. And before that, we'll be ushering in the mid, uh, mid-January 
with partners in crime, the Rockefeller, CFR, CIA, and Castro connection to the Kennedy assassination. That'll be by Cuban-born, University of Havana-educated, Servando Gonzalez. We'll be talking about that. Now, now let, me, let me just quote him. And, and let me just quote him and say, this is actually, this is probably one of the most interesting quotes I've, I, I've, I've come across. I, we're coming up on a three-year mark of doing this program. And um, again, we started by investigating the, uh, the Zika virus in Miami Beach. But of that time, I've come across, we, we've, 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 we've received some incredible guests on the program. And I've come across some amazing quotes. But, but Servando's quote is very, very captivating. And it summarizes what might be the 1% and how they might view the world. Look, if, if it's... it's, it's Human beings be, tend to be very greedy, don't they? And or don't we? And um, and 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 that is portrayed by the very gross amount of wealth that the upper echelons of the economy members that possess large percentages of the economy by means of ruling or their companies holding incredible market shares, i.e., the Rockefellers, right? Uh, what, what we saw in antitrust lawsuits over 100 years ago. But but to give a interesting point of view on that, Servando's quote is this. Far from being a failure, Castro's Cuba is a successful social experiment, a testing ground for the New World Order. order. A testing ground for the New World Order. Okay, uh, That's communism, isn't it? The people who planned the experiment have already began to implement it in the United States, i.e. political correctness, which is, I guess, the idea of it has become mainstream in the past 15, 20 years, uh, began to implement, or excuse me, political was tested first in Cuba, he says. And of course, that aspect of population control is very well established in the United States. Okay, Courtney is very graciously standing by. Uh, our guest of today, and we're not going to break because I'm already late. Uh, our time is uh, is very nice. Courtney Cottrell is a native of Greensboro, North Carolina. A 20-year veteran in the United States Navy. She's the author of Unapologetically Favored. Her military experiences have made a mark on her life through struggles, personal, and those of leadership duties. Courtney has de was deployed on... The USS Dwight Eisenhower, USS John Kennedy, USS Enterprise, and USS George H.W. Bush. Excuse me, H.W. Bush. Her journey has taken her to many countries, including Spain, Portugal, England, Turkey, Bahrain, Dubai, Israel, and Italy, and many other places. In addition to the U.S. to the U.S. military era of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Let's bring Courtney on right now. We're going to Skype her in live. And uh, we'll we'll have a we'll have a thirty minute conversation and discussion with Courtney. We're pleased to bring Courtney on. Let's Skype her in. Journey has taken us to many countries, including Spain, Portugal, England, Turkey. Courtney. Yes. Hey, how are you? Ian Trottier here. Welcome to Discussions of Truth. I hear you uh, bringing the broadcast in via Winwood Radio. I think I got the, the the background noise on that. Thanks for standing by. We got started a little bit late today. Uh, for the oh, no worries. 
for the past couple months so that you know Courtney we've been uh, experimenting with um, uh, on off-site that's remote broadcasts uh, but um, uh, your publisher well, I won't announce on the air a publisher we've we've, we've received a, a number of uh, uh, of her clients onto the program so welcome to discuss the truth uh, Courtney uh, uh, tell us about you. Tell listeners a little bit about about you and, and who you are. I mentioned uh, a, a brief synopsis of, of who you are, and I think um, most importantly, uh, the contribution that, that you're bringing to the program is the angle, and, and I believe this is the Bill Clinton era uh, in the White House, but you're bringing in a perspective of what I think in uh, 2019 is difficult for uh, for people to really understand that that was a reality once because it's more acceptable. But you went through the don't ask, don't tell era of um, of, of of serving the country as a, a, a member of the Navy. Um, but please uh, give listeners a, a little bit of background um, as to who you are. Well, um, like you said in my intro, I was listening also off to the side. Um, I am um, uh, from Greensboro, North Carolina, born and raised. I enlisted into the Navy in about 98 under the um, uh, delayed program and then actually shipped off to boot camp July of 99. You know, and as a young person going into the military, you don't really expect to be in for 20 years. But things happen, you mature, you grow up, you realize that what you have is really not a bad thing. You know, we're blessed to be able to do what we do and like less than 1% of the country does it. So, you know, we're a part of something bigger than we are. But as I was growing up, you know, I did notice and have feelings and understand that, you know, I was a little different from everybody else. And I would do things like at the age of seven, which I speak about um, in my book, Unapologetically Favored. You know, I was looking at Playboy magazines that was that I was hiding inside of my great aunt's good housekeeping magazines so nobody would know what I was looking at. And I'm like seven years old, you know. So I, I knew I was a little different. But, you know, growing up Southern Baptist family goes to church. You There's nobody around that, you know, that is like you. You keep things to yourself. You don't want to talk to your parents about anything because you don't want to disappoint them. That's your your biggest heartbreak. You know, usually the letdown of yourself or your parents. So you you maintain and try to live your life according to how you think other people want you to live your life. And a lot of us are guilty of doing that. We don't live our lives for ourselves. We put too much emphasis and too much care into what the next person is going to think about me. And that's what I was doing to the point that I, you know, I, I, I grew up, I got married. I uh, tried to live my life as the American way or, you know, the way of the world, husband, wife, 2.3 kids, a white picket fence, have a dog, have this beautiful job. I tried that. I was not happy. And eventually it got to the point where I had to be real with myself. How long was I going to be depressed? How long was I going to not be happy? And, you know, at the time in the Navy was the don't ask, don't tell error, meaning that if I was to be exposed I could risk the the chance of me losing my career, my job, my enlistment, everything I had put in thus far. So I had to keep that under wraps. So I was going through a lot at a young age with this burden that I was carrying with me on top of being in a marriage that I was not happy being in and not having a mentor, an outlet, some venting partner to share what I was going through. You know, it was all internalized and it was it was a really, really sad time. You know, but it was one of those things where I had to do it because there was no other option. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so that, that's a that's a very loaded response. 
Um, and but very but very important. And you and, and I th I think I think I think one of the most important uh, elements of, of of that that you brought up is that most people don't have that strength to come out and live the life that they actually feel happy and want to live. They're they're kind of living the life with a facade or or or, or with a mask to to try to uh, uh, appease others around them um, and not 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 make themselves happy. Um, it, 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 Courtney, uh, so so tell us today here. Um, and, and, and today, uh, you are you're currently married. Oh yes, sir. Mm -hmm. My lovely and, wife Tiffany. She's also in the military as well. Okay, and this is your second. If I'm understanding correctly, is this your second your second marriage? It is. I say it's my real marriage. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So so it took it took it sounds like it took um what what it what did it take? It took of course your childhood and it took uh, your teens and and then your young your young adult years. Um and then how many years were you married for you to get to a point where you actually uh got yourself into a marriage that you were happy being and how long did that take you? Well, I, I was married, I want to say I was about 20 or 21, and I think I was married for about like a year, a year and a half, maybe, okay. um, when everything kind of spilled over. And I just said, you know, I can't do this anymore. I yeah. love you, but I'm not in love with you. And this is why. And it was it was really bad. You know, I, I still to this day, it's been a while ago. And to this day, I still feel bad because, you know, I wasted five years of somebody's life that they'll never get back. That was five years they could have spent with somebody who was truly, truly devoted to them. And I, you know, it was selfish on my part, but at the time I didn't know, I didn't know any better. I didn't know what to do and how to have enough courage to say, this is who I am, love who I am, take ownership of who I am and then expose everything and just be transparent. It took a lot of growing to get to that point. Uh -huh. Now, did the, did the, did the Navy, so, so from my perspective, uh, from my perspective, it seems like. Uh, uh, those that uh, those that uh, the, the, the the military overall seems to be more accepting of um, sexual preference uh, of their soldiers. It used to be, and, and I lived through um, uh, uh, just being exposed to it, as any, any American would have uh, during that "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" period with, with Bill Clinton. But but today it seems like you know twenty years later, uh, it seems like that the military is a little uh, is much more uh, accepting of its uh, soldiers. Or its members' sexual preference is—is is that accurate? Oh, that's a very true statement. And it was funny because I was doing an interview um, a couple of days ago, and we were speaking about that. And I said, you know, when they finally lifted the band, and everybody was like gasping for air, they thought the military was going to implode on itself. Everybody was going to hell. We were just going to be in shambles. And it was funny because I said, you know, we've been serving alongside of you for this long, yeah. and you never had any issues because you didn't know. So in my head, I was like, don't get flattered. Don't flatter yourself thinking that now we're going to be chasing after you because that is not a thing. Yeah. So, you know, the name, the, and it's, it's more, I think people are, are more comfortable, more comfortable with it because they're understanding, they're learning, they're seeing, they're, you know, more light is being shed that just because somebody is different from you does not mean it's a bad thing. You might learn something for somebody else, you know, right. and and I love it. And I and I love the fact that, you know, social media is used good, good. Most I love it when it's for the good, when it's for the bad, not so much but for the good. You know, people are exposed to more and more different things and their eyes are open. A lot of times when people don't understand, they, they're scared of the unknown. So you have the fight or flight 
response, whether you're going to fight against it, you can't, you're going to protest, you don't care, you just want to talk all kind of, you know, just terrible, horrible things about it, or you just run away with it or run away from it, shut it out of your life so you don't have to deal with it instead of taking the time to sit down and fully understand someone's background, their trials and tribulations, their struggles, you know, what led them to this point, you know, you you have to know what's behind a person to know who's in front of you when they're standing there in front of you. But the military has done a wonderful job with exposing and recognizing and making, um, you know, the LGBTQ community feel like a part of the family now. So, you know, I love it and I appreciate them for it. Well, that's, so that's, that's interesting because, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, whether being in what level class, it seemed like studying ancient Roman soldiers or ancient Greek uh, you know, soldiers, it seemed like uh, homosexuality was very common historically. So exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and, and, and the other the other point that you bring up is that's right. I mean, m many times people that are fear fearful of being uh, around people that are different from them. It's it's it, essentially it's an element of them being fearful of something and and, 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 and understanding where a person has come from to deliver them to the same stage and many times on the same parallel stage as another person is very important understanding uh, someone's background and what made them who they are today. So now you have compiled uh, and you have written a book uh, uh, on, on your life and your experiences in the military. Um, unapolog unapologetically, unapologetically favored um, is, is a new book that you're bringing uh, to market. Um, tell listeners about this. What, what is this? Tell us about your book. So last year around Veterans Day, this same time period last year, after all the, you know, thank you for your service, appreciate your service, you know, all the social media posts were made. I don't know what it was. Something just in me was like, you know, people don't understand when you say thank, when you thank us yeah. for our service, what that really means. And it's like, I want to expose you to what you're thinking the military for. So I made a long post on social media. Did not think anybody was going to truly read it because it was really long. And normally people just scroll by it and that's about it. Mm -hmm. So unbeknownst to me, everybody, a lot of people read this post. Um, I had over a thousand shares on this post. I had a lot of people message me, inbox me saying, oh my goodness, thank you so much for sharing that. I thought it was just me Whoa. going through what I was going through. Thank you so much for speaking the truth. Thank you so much because you don't understand this was my struggle. And, you know, they would go on and tell me about their stories. And these were people I never met. So I had a couple of friends of mine that told me, Courtney, maybe you need to write a book. I was like, I'm not doing that. I would never, I'm not, I'm not book material, you know, and, but I'm one of those, I'm a firm believer that if you have more than one person tell you to do something, then they see something in you that you are capable of doing. Right. So I said, you know what? Let me lift my my uh, my limits a little higher than just the sky. So I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I want to write a book, but I wanted the book to have short stories from service members, their struggles and stressors that they had while they were serving and how they were able to overcome that. Then I wanted to support the spouses and have stories from the spouses because sometimes the spouses get, mm. you know, pushed to the side, but they don't realize when you go from a two parent home to a single parent home with four kids, after school programs, bills and vehicles and house maintenance and jobs, and they are overwhelmed and loaded down and they're still maintaining. And I wanted their perspective so people could see the, the realness. Everybody had me with a story, but I have nobody's story. So I said, you know, I'm gonna write my own daggone book. I'm not waiting. 
So I wrote a book about my struggle and me growing up and dealing with death and watching my mom overcome and me trying to figure out my sexual identity and, you know, my setbacks in life and depressions and contemplating suicide because I didn't feel like I had a purpose. Yeah. But I ran into good people along my journey that saw something in me and put me in positions where I slowly started realizing that I do have a purpose in this world. And once I found out what my purpose was, I said, you know what? I am who I am. I'm a love me for me. I'm going to hold my head up high and I'm going to walk in my purpose. I'm going to be Courtney. Either you're going to like me or you don't, but it's okay mm -hmm. because I only matter to the people that have emotional you know, connections with me. If you don't have an emotional connection with me, I don't care what you think. I'm going to be unapologetic. I'm not going to apologize, you know, for everything I've been through mm -hmm. in my life because my story, I feel like, you know, is another person's story who can relate to what I've been through wow. and maybe me changing their outlook on it through my book will help them understand that they have a purpose as well. So that that's how my book is, is written. Uh, not only, you know, just about my life, but trying to give people perspective that we are all here for a reason. We are, we all go through, go through things in life and, Sometimes you got to be careful what you ask for, because when you ask for certain things, mm -hmm. you might have to go through the darkness to mm -hmm. get it. But while you're going through that darkness, you don't understand and you think you're being buried. But in actuality, you're being planted so that you can grow into what you're supposed to be. So that's my book in a nutshell. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. And one of your chapters is actually Dark Light. And I want you to kind of talk about that a little bit um, in, in a moment. You've gone through incredible struggles, and you've really epitomized, um, in my view, uh, what it means to be an American. America, to me anyway, is really a beacon uh, for, for all walks of life, all languages, all backgrounds, all ethnicities. That's how I – it's, 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 it's the, 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 the molding and meshing of how to live cohesively as, as a human being regardless of your background, is really what being an American uh, is to me. And so to me, your struggles and your backgrounds and who you are um, uh, epitomizes uh, the essence of the American spirit. So you, you mentioned briefly that you had overcome various things. It sounds like you were raised um, with, a, with a single mother. You faced or you struggled or, or you had faced the challenge of uh, confronting a death early on in your life. Is that correct? Yes. So my step, so I'm um, growing up, my, my biological father was in and out of my life. He wasn't there. And still to this day, he's still not there a hundred percent, but that's okay. He's my father. I love him. Whenever I see him, I'll tell him that. Um, but my stepfather came into my life when I was about three years old and he raised me as his own, um, you know, from the time I was three up till I was 15 when he passed away, but we never really had a true, true father daughter connection uh, he was diagnosed with colon cancer about 1995, I want to say, uh, and he passed away like within six months he was gone. So that going through that period, you know, I'm 14, 15 years old, going to high school, I'm watching, you know, he was our he was our he was our family's strength, our bond, our glue. He kept took care of my mother, my brother and I. And, you know, watching him on his deathbed after being this strong man was, you know, just terrifying for me. And I'm internalizing everything. And I think I, I grew up doing, doing that a lot. And it kind of led to my adulthood with internalizing everything that I was doing or going through. And he, he passed away of colon cancer. And, you know, it was detrimental for my brother because my brother actually witnessed him um, die at, at home uh, in the bed. 
And it was for me, I knew what was happening and I took the, the flight pattern. I left the house that morning. I, I, I left, I went to school, I couldn't do it. And I knew when my biological mother's or my biological father's mother showed up to school to pick me up, I knew that he was dead and gone. And it was so sad because to this day, and even writing this book was therapeutic for me because I never told him thank you. I never appreciated the toughness that he put on me. I see it now, but when I'm, you know, 13, 14, 15, going through puberty, I was grown. He couldn't tell me anything, you know, but now, you know, looking back hindsight, you know, I do appreciate it. Uh, And he was actually in the Navy as well. Mm -hmm. So I do appreciate him for molding me and and showing me and wanting me to do better and have more for my life than what I had. That's a tough struggle. And that really kind of, it, it sobers any type of joy you may have as a child uh, confronting uh, death of a, of a very loved one and someone who's uh, so uh, close to you and helping shape who you are. That, that's got to be a, an incredible pain and, 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 and challenge to overcome. What would you say? Let me throw you something right now. What would you say? You, 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 this is going to be a two-part question for you, Courtney. First off, you, 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 you've gone through the don't ask, don't tell era of the military. But then you you weathered that. You you gave twenty years. I'm not. You gave twenty years. You gave a career to the to the to the to the U.S. Navy, and you you went through that. And so, I'm assuming that towards towards the latter part of your career, um, where you had had to um, kind of wear a veil or, or 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 again to use that term, mask of your sexual identity mm-hmm. in your early parts of your career towards the and to the end of that career, you, you, you could drop that mask and you could, you could let y- your comrades and, 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 and those around you uh, know uh, you didn't have to hide that anymore. How did that, this is going to be a two-part question, how did that contribute, if it did, Courtney, to making you a better leader? So... Being able to be transparent in who I am, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, it, it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, but you, I had to learn. I had to grow into it. It, it wasn't something that just happened overnight. Uh, it was it was a it was a long time coming. But my thing is, never use whatever sets you apart from somebody else as your crutch. And a lot of people do that. They'll use their difference as a crutch. To say, you know, well, this is the reason why somebody doesn't like me. This is the reason why I was laid off from work. This is the reason why they don't invite me to, you know, out to lunch during, you know, lunchtime. Because you're thinking and you're, you're using whatever that difference is as a crutch. I never used my sexuality as a crutch. I never said somebody didn't like me because of I was a lesbian or whatever the case may be. You know, but I really never had that problem anyways with anybody not ever like me. I'm a people person. So I I, I tell people, don't use it as a crutch. Don't make, stop being, because when you're, when you're scared of who you are, you're insecure, you will, you will reflect that because you will always speak about it. You will always be nervous about it. It's always on your mind. But when you are comfortable in your own skin, you won't ever really think about, you know, what sets you apart and you're able to do your job a little smoother. You're able to go to work without being stressed out. You're able to have conversations with your coworkers without worrying in the back of your mind if they can tell if you're gay or not. It won't bother you because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So it all it, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. You have to own who you are, love who you are first within yourself 
before you can, you know, be a successful person. And then that will flow right into the leadership realm. Because if you're, you know, if you're, if you're confident, then it'll show. Once it starts to show, people say, you know what, you're, you're a good mentor, a good role model, a, a, a good leader. You know, I want to follow you. But if you are not confident in your week, you'll never be a leader because nobody wants to follow or see a, a weak leader. So you, that 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 acceptance of who you are, owning who you are, and you know walking in your purpose, and and just not having insecurities, uh, is is very integral into being a, a good leader. Can you give us an example through your career where you've affected, uh, you've had a strong impersonation and made 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 somebody become a better person, better soldier, uh, better citizen? Can you give us an example of how that leadership uh, shined uh, through in, in your career? Oh, I have so many examples. Oh my goodness, where to start? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so most recently, I can probably go back about two years. Uh, most recently, I had um, a female that worked for me. When I checked on board uh, my command, you know, they talked so bad about this female, and I was just, you know, I'm thinking to myself, this, this individual cannot be this bad. And I and I, and I believe, you know, people are a certain way because somebody's probably made them that way. So now my job is to go in and figure out why is she this bad, if she's even that bad. So, you know, I, I sit her down, I talk to her, figure out her goals. We come up with a goal plan for her. Uh, she tells me everything that she wants to do, where she's from. She gives me the past history of what's happened to her while she's been at this command. And I said, you know, just to sum it up, nobody's ever given her a real chance. They've just shunned her off. And when you when you don't allow people to show you that they can do something, they don't feel like they're part of the team, they're not going to invest into the organization. So that's where she was at. She was just tired and given up because nobody ever gave her a chance. They wouldn't let she was not able to show them that she could do things. So I come into the organization, to the command, and I give her a chance. I put my neck out on the line because she had a bad reputation. So I said, you know what? I want her to be in charge of my office. I want her to run the sailors. If something happens. You know, I'll get in trouble for it. I said, but until then, I'm going to write down her roles and responsibilities. I'm going to go over them with her. I'm going to make sure she is good. And I will guide and train her because she needs to she needs to be guided through this process because she doesn't know. And if I've been here and done that, let me pass on my knowledge to her. So I was able to do that. And, uh, you know, in the military, we get retention wards, which means, you know, when you when you're able to maintain all your, your, your personnel, nobody gets out of the military, you know, they reenlist. It's a very, very positive thing. So commands can get awards for their, their sailors reenlisting. Well, this command had not had an awards in like five years, I believe it was. So I said, you know what, let's sit down and figure out, you know, where are we going? What's happening? You know, we, we groomed her. I groomed her. I went to her trainings. I didn't have to go, but I supported her because I wanted to do what she needed to do to get ahead and to help the command as well. So we were able to get, you know, a retention excellence award for the first time in five years in 2017. Uh, she went up for um, like sailor of the quarter. You get uh, of the quarter boards, like employees of the quarter. We have the same thing. And she won that. Uh, she ended up um, getting recognized uh, a couple of times within the command. And then her assistance was, was requested outside of the command to go help, you know, water aircraft carrier to go mentor some other people and now she works up at walter reed um up in walter reed um hospital you know and she's in charge of all like the dc area and you know and i and i'm proud of her because i feel like all she needed was a chance and when you give people small goals and they start attaining those small goals 
they get excited because they can see the fruit of their labor. And they're like, I can do this. Okay, what's next? Give me something else. You got to keep them hungry. Keep them striving and wanting for more. You know, and, and I feel that's how you develop somebody's potential. You you break them outside of their their limiting beliefs in their head where they think, well, I'm only capable of doing this because of where I come from and how I was raised. No, you are capable of doing anything that you set your mind to as long as you have the proper guidance and mentorship along the way. So that was my most recent story, 2017-ish. I probably have some more that I'm not thinking about right now, uh, most most current, but that's the one that sticks out in my mind the most. That's empowerment. And, 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 and as you look back on, 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 on that mentoring that you've done to this person, it sounds like that's incredible. She's, in, she's at Walter Reed and in, in charge of all whole, whole of D.C. area. That's a great example of success. Uh, which which shows your leadership skill as being an incredible leader. But Courtney, what was it in this particular person that was holding her back and that was kind of putting her? What was she doing to pin her into the corner um, to 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 kind of stunt that growth that you were able to bring bring out of her? I think it might people's attitudes. So a lot of people don't really. Uh, we, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a lot of people, I'm going to say we, including myself sometimes, I'm guilty of this as well. You know, you automatically judge somebody by their appearance or you automatically judge them because of the way they speak. Or, you know, if I, if I go into work one day and I, and I do this on a regular and some of my sailors can't stand it because I did it just yesterday to a female at work as well. And if I see you and you do not look like your jovial self, if I see you and your eyes are tired or you're moving slow and I know it's not you, while we are working, I'm not going to yell at you and fuss at you. I'm going to say, hey, shipmate, come here. Let me let me talk to you for a second. I'm going to pull you outside. Hey, is everything okay? What's going on at home? Are you good? You got to know what's going on. And a lot of times we are guilty of being so caught up in the moment that we don't see that part. We just see a lazy a lazy worker. So you, you, you pounce on the lazy worker for not moving fast enough or getting right. the job done, right. but you don't know what's going on through that person's mind. You don't know if somebody just died in their family. Mm-hmm. You don't know if they're having financial problems, if the, what stressors they have going on in their life. And we don't, we don't take time to stop and look at that first before we pounce on them. We just pounce on them thinking that's going to motivate them. So I think that's what was happening to her to the point that she just shut down. Because she had a lot of, she did have a lot of things going on in her life. Her mother was sick, and her mother recently passed away um, a couple of months back. And she was dealing with that. She was dealing, you know, with her home life because she, as well, um, is a lesbian. And nobody really, she didn't have anybody to talk to because she didn't trust anybody. So she, like I, was going through the stressors at a young age and needed somebody that she could trust, that she could lean on, that she knew was genuinely uh, there for her and had her back. So I think a lot of the things that held her back was just. Not the, the trustworthiness and the people that she worked for, not understanding that she had a lot of things going on in her life that she was not confiding in, confiding to somebody about. So let's get into the chapter in your book that you've titled Dark Light. What is yeah. Dark Light, Courtney? So during so during this time, um, and it's and it's a and it's most recent, um, it happened this year. You know, being a leader, people we deal with a lot. And I don't have any children. So my sailors, the, the people that work for me, I call them my babies, my kids. You know, you, you spend so much, so, so much time with them, you know, years with them, deployments and, you know, detachments in small little places. And you, you build a bond, a family bond. And, and right now I'm the only female um, 
chief, senior chief at my command. So a lot of the times, you know, I do bond with everybody, but I especially love my girls because, you know, it's not a lot of us. So I try to be there for them as much as possible. Um, unfortunately, this, this, this past April, we had uh, two, I just, well, both the two sailors, uh, I was a part of the mentoring and, and guidance and disciplinary actions with these two individuals, male and a female. And one morning I get a phone call that uh, we had an active shooter at work and uh, this sailor on the end, she was a little distraught and she was like, whatever you do, senior chief, do not pull into the parking lot, stay where you're at, stay where you're at. And I'm saying, what is going on? And I had a, we had a sailor that was in a parking lot shooting our other sailor. And I knew who it was because we had just had a conversation. You know, I had been counseling this young man. I had been going through everything with this young man and he snapped and figured the only way out or, you know, it just whatever happened, whatever was going through his thought process, we'll never know now. Uh, he decided to come to work and shoot uh, the female sailor um, a couple of times, almost killing her. And I got the message and it was the lowest point of my life as a leader, as a leader, the lowest point, because I just talked to this female a week prior and I told her, you know, let me know if you need anything from me. My, my exact words to her were, I am your family away from family. I am here to protect you. If you need anything, please let me know. I'm going to check on you. Are you okay? And she said, yes, senior chief, I am okay. Fast forward to that Friday and I get a phone call that she's in a parking lot shot and nobody knows if she's dead or alive. And all I wanted to do was jump out of my car, James Bond style, and just run through the front gate of the base, scoop her up in my arms and fly away. And I was so low because I was, it was like I said these words to her, but I was not there to protect her. I was not there to make sure she was okay. And in my head, you know, you always deal with that guiltiness of, did we do enough? What else could we have done? You know, and unfortunately, the young man was shot and killed in a parking lot by base police. And, you know, there's two young lives that was lost. She's, she's doing well. She did survive. She's doing well. But it was, it was, it was, it was so dark. You know, it was in my head. I was like, everything was just so dark after that. And and it, it takes a while to heal. I'm still healing from that. You know, it I, I, I speak on mental health. You have to take care of yourself and get through things when they're not and when it's not working for you, when you're trying to do it on your own. But it was a dark time for me. But I still had light because she's still alive. I still speak to her. I still make sure she's OK. You know, it was it was like dark light. I just. It was it was so that that period was it was like a blackout for me. It took me a long time, a long, long time to kind of bounce back from that, not knowing if she was going to be OK, if she was going to make it and feel like I let her down when I had just had those words with her a couple of days prior to her getting shot. So, wow, profound. That's some profound, profound stuff there. It's a, it's a, it's a, a very profound experience. Uh, Courtney, 2019. You've, you've painted a nice picture of, of, of certain various struggles that you, you've gone through in life and certainly in, 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 in your, your career um, as, a, as a naval sailor. What, what is the biggest fear that you have for the future of this country? And let me just, let me just lay down this, this uh, prelude if you will, uh, to, to your response and, 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 and something to think about. I think that my perspective anyway is that we are very lucky, um, whether it's coincidence or not, I think we're all very lucky to be living um, during this time. Um, that's the way I view 
um, uh, uh, my existence on the planet. I think we're very fortunate. We've got an incredibly strong country. We've got our faults. We've mm-hmm. had our struggles. Um, you've had different struggles than I, and there's listeners that have their own struggles, which struggles which are different than than I, one of ours. Uh, one of ours. But from a person that's served their country, honestly, with integrity, with strength, um, with full force and full power, um, moving forward, and we've had some incredible leaders. Uh, you sound like you're one of them. Uh, but if we take, for instance, uh, a name like a Rosa Parks or a Martin Luther King or even a, a, a John F. Kennedy, just to name a few that are kind of within our era. I mean, they're not too far behind us. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what is what is the biggest fear that you have as far as maintaining the prosperity of this country? Uh, for me, my biggest fear for um, us is right now we are so caught up in just disliking everybody because of pettiness, because of immaturity, the fussing and the fighting that we forget exactly everything that you just mentioned that, you know, we are fortunate to be in this country. We, we lose ourselves so much into, you know, trying to, to be perfect and trying to be rich and trying to be, have a thousand likes on Instagram and Facebook or, you know, not liking this person because they're this color or this ethnicity or this background or this sexuality or, you know, short hair, dark hair, blonde hair, black hair. We, we find the most trivial things to fuss, fight and argue about. But when the day comes, and I say when, because I feel like it's really going to happen one day, when the day comes that we are going to, when we're under attack mm. and we have to, we, we are going to have to come together to save our country. Mm. But I'm scared we're going to end up losing <laughs> in that battle because we are so focused on nitpicking on things that don't matter instead of taking care of our homeless veterans taking care of, you know, the schools for our children who, you know, need education the most instead of taking care of the mental health of our, you know, teenagers all the way up to young adulthood when they're going through the most stressors because they're trying to figure out life on their own because there's really no good role models out there for them to talk to, you know, instead of, you know, taking care of, you know, military members, emergency service members and all those who put in extra time overtime and their job does not equate or their pay does not equate to all the hours and time they put in, you know, throughout their life. We spend so much time worrying about the wrong things and not liking people because of personal childish reasons. We're losing the, the focus, you know, and I would hate to think that one day we're in war and somebody looks at me and says, you know, what? I'm not saving you because of whatever. Sure. Or I'm not helping yeah. you put out this fire because of whatever. And it's like, I don't have time for that. Because at the end of the day, if we are under attack, I don't care who you are, what you are, who you voted for. I need you to help save my life. I need you to rescue my family. I need to go back and be able to tell your family that you are okay and you are alive. Instead of going back and saying, you know, sir, ma'am, your son or daughter is dead. We spend so much time on the trivial things that we forget how blessed we are to be in this country and have the things that we have. And that is my fear that one day we're going to lose a war because we are caught up on the wrong things. So let me give you this now, Courtney, and we've we've got a few more minutes here. Um, let me give you this: we we as 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 much as we've the the country as a whole, we're speaking has its struggles. Um, there have also been some some great things about it, right? I mean, so um, 
President Obama recently, um, and then just most recently, it seems like just a few votes away from having the first female president. So I'm going to put this on you here, Courtney. Okay. Let's say you are elected president at some point Ooh. in time. Okay. No, I'm not <laughs> suggesting you have a political career ahead of you, or but if you do or you don't, I don't know. But let's just put it on that. Let, let's say that, Courtney, you're sitting in the Oval Office, and you, mm-hmm. you're the commander-in-chief. You are the United States president. What is the first thing that you would do to make your country better? Oh my goodness! I can I can only choose one. You can choose you can choose more than one if you like. If, if you come to mind, just throw them out. Oh. oh my goodness! I like just one. How would you change? How would you change your country? How would you make your country? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be limited to one, but how would you make your country a better place? How would you make how would you make its beacon shine brighter to the international community? Oh my goodness! Oh, you feel like I don't even know what to start with that. But I'm just so many things running through my head right now. I'm like, oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that's a strong question. That is so strong. Um, I think for me. I, I, I am a, a, a true people person. That is me. I, I've been told I never meet a stranger. If I meet you for the first time, I'm going to hug you on sight because it might be the first and last time I ever see you in my life. You might be having a bad day. I don't know. So I'm going to hug you, hug it out. Um, <sighs> keep, keep in mind, as you, as you think about this, and as, and, as, and, as, and as listeners out there are contemplating this, Courtney yes. Carroll would be the second. I mean, if you were elected president, next voting period let's just let's just uh let's just say that's that's what's happened that would happen you'd be the first the second african-american okay you'd be the first openly homosexual and you'd be the first female president so those those three main cogs that would be a massive and major obstacle those would be major obstacles that an, that an American uh, would 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 be overcoming, and so you had, then then as your response as your as your as your as your mind is uh, as the wheels are turning in your mind and, and as you kind of re-deliver your response uh, to to us, um, you're considering those three those three challenges that would have been overcome, um, and perhaps that's going to give. The average American out there that's listening, or that uh, is uh, that resonates with your book and who you are, and is saying, "Hey, you know what? This is who I am too, and I can overcome that challenge." So, with that in mind, what is your response now, and how does it change if it's changing? <laughs> say uh i would i think right now like my what i how i'm feeling right now at this moment uh i I would reach out to the schools to the teachers i think i I feel so sad that their job i kind of have a, a a a little soft spot in my heart so to speak because i was once a a boot camp drill sergeant for the navy and having kids that come in 
and they were homeless or having them come in and they were they grew up being abused and coming in and being told they would never amount to anything in their life or escaping the gangs in the street so they could live another day or have, you know, three meals a day and a shower because they didn't have that or whatever the case may be. You, you end up connecting and you end up not only having to train them in a military discipline fashion, but you also have to educate them on life. So you end up becoming not only, you know, a recruit division commander or a drill sergeant, you're their, their parent, you're their guidance counselor, you're their chaplain, you're their teacher, you're, you're everything. And teachers nowadays are having to do the same exact thing with nearly mm-hmm. not enough pay. And it hurts me. You know, the, the core, our educational system is what is, it, it starts a person on their journey throughout the rest of their life. Whatever you are taught at the bottom level is what you're going to have when you get to the top. And if we don't start, you, you don't wait to a child is 18 years old to teach them how to, you know, be an adult. You start training them at a young age with speaking. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Open the door. Please and thank you. You teach them when they first start speaking, right? So why do we not educate them in the same way? Mm-hmm. Teach them financial responsibility. Teach them about taxes. You know, and then uh, I found out a couple of years ago, they stopped teaching cursive. And I said, well, well how do they have a, a signature? How do they identify themselves? They don't, they don't have, they're losing so much. And, and I feel like, it, and the teachers are stressed out because they're not getting, you know, enough support. And then parents are mad because the kids aren't learning what they're supposed to learn. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. And my heart goes out to them because I understand where they're coming from. From there, I think I'll move on to all the homeless vets that we have that I feel like it is really, it is really sad, really, really sad that we're, we're having, we are this country who, you know, we, yeah. we love the military, yeah. but we don't take care of the military. Right. What? That makes no sense to me. I do not understand it. I, I, I can, I, I kind of get it because, you know, Vietnam, things happen, you know, your parents, even my grandfather who served in the army for 30 years. He's never talked about it and he won't. I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to pressure, pressure him about it because I know things took place and they don't want to speak about it. PTSD is a real thing. I get that. But why are we not setting up? I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like more could be done. I just don't know where to start. But I feel like we are so good with building brand new apartment homes and houses in like two yep. weeks and yep. communities and subdivisions. Why can we not build areas for our veterans who are homeless, where they have three meals a day, they have um, access to health care, they have access to mental health uh, facilities for them. They have dedicated their lives. They have lost their mental health. They have lost friends and shipmates overseas for however long they serve and see things that we only read about in books for them to come back home and we look at them like trash on the street that bothers me yeah well, well said courtney well, well said um charlotte eisenbates a, a past guest on this program if you're not familiar with who she is she's a former um a, a reagan administration official uh, headed, headed uh, looking over the department of education uh and she, uh, one of her books that she writes and this is why i'm mentioning that is um, is and this is back, uh, I believe, in the '80s. She wrote this was the deliberate dumbing down of America. So her view and her knowledge and her, and the research that she had done was that uh, was that there are there are uh, there are pieces and mechanics within the uh, the, the educational system uh, being being fed down from the government level, which uh, deliberately hamper the growth of of the child, and and it kind of is symbiotic of. Uh, of, of what you're mentioning, and that then that we as a as a republic we, we don't put enough edu- uh, uh, emphasis 
on, on education. Uh, you that, a comment? Go ahead. I'll say that. I mean, I, I really feel like that we don't put enough uh, emphasis on education. And then you expect, you know, the, the college kids when they graduate after doing two and three, four, however many every years to come out being smart and being ready to, you know, pick up the first corporate job that they get or, you know, it, it, it's mind boggling that it, it, I don't know, it's just so much in my head that's just flooded right now. <laughs> but I, that is a, that is a very true statement. Like we don't put enough emphasis on it. And it's sad. You know, I look at sometimes I look at, you know, overseas and their educational system and this strict, you know, the uniforms. I, I love the uniforms. It keeps it keeps the children focused on education and not who has the newest pair of tennis shoes or the best jacket, you know, or the cutest book bag, whatever. You know, I feel like the uniforms should be an, an, are necessary to keep them focused and not competing with each other and not having a reason to bully and shame each other because one kid can't afford what the next kid can. Again, right. you know, the, the pettiness and the childishness and all that kind of stuff, how we judge and look at each other. Uh, but, you know, if we could hone in on the importance of education, you know, I, I really think that by the time, you know, there will be there will be I think in my head, there'll be a lot of more enrollments into college further in education. And people wouldn't be so scared to continue on education as they get older. But, yeah, I, I, emphasis on education to me is big. Ladies and gentlemen, Courtney Cottrell has joined us this afternoon on Discussions of Truth. Courtney, some parting thoughts from you. Um, if, if you would leave listeners with some, with some, with some uh, parting thoughts from your, um, from your angle, and if you would like to mention uh, who's been your biggest influence out there. So my biggest influence has been, I, have a, I, have a, I actually have a couple of them. One, my mother. Because no matter what I have been through, you know, sometimes we don't see eye to eye, but she's never turned her back on me. She's never said, you know what, I can't deal with this anymore. You know, don't speak to me. Uh, she's even to this day, like she is my best friend. She has been through things. She's bent over backwards for people. She loves people that she meets. And I think I get my personality from her, I like to say. Uh, and she, she's an extraordinary woman. If I could give her the world, take her on a vacation across the world, I would. But that is my dream one day to do that for her. Uh, two, um, there is a, a retired fleet master chief that April Beldo that I'm um, retired 2017. And she was in the military. She's an African-American female, but she was like our, our, our most senior master chief, you know, female wise. And she went through some trials and tribulations in her position, being in a male dominant organization and, you know, over everybody. You know, everybody didn't really appreciate her, didn't like her, and but she loved everybody. But because she was African-American, you know, a lot of the African-American females gravitated towards her because she was something they knew. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she, you know, it was a lot, it was difficulty, but she made it. She overlooked that. She didn't entertain it. She did her job. She held, you know, her position with Grace employees. And, and I love that. She was classy. And that's what I think that's what we all should do. Um, uh, and so those two people, my mom and, uh, April Beldo, I think, are my biggest influencers to, to, you know, keep fighting the good fight. And my parting words to everybody would just be, you know, love yourself first before you love anybody or anything else. If you are not confident in yourself, if you don't have, you know, that strength within yourself to accept who you are, everything around you is going to fall apart and you're going to be trying to figure out why. It's when you hold your head up, stick your chest out and say, you know what, I love me. I'm not going to apologize for being who I am. Crayons and a crayon box are not all the same color. And we love beautiful crayons. We are all a different crayon in life. 
So own it. Love who you are. Be thankful that you're not like everybody else. You know, find your purpose in life and walk in it. Unapologetically favored. This is the author of said book, Courtney Cottrell. Uh, Courtney, where can listeners purchase your book? So my book is available on Amazon, online with Amazon, and also online with Barnes and Nobles. And I also have a website, unapologeticallyfavored.com, where you can buy t-shirts and gifts and everything and catch up on all my television and radio interviews as well as purchase my book. Wonderful. Courtney, thank you for joining Windward Radio and Discuss Your Truth. We look forward to inviting you back on the program. Until next time, Courtney, have a wonderful day. Thanks for everything you do. Thank you so much and happy Thanksgiving to you.